Josephine, come look at Martin Van Buren's trousers. Loco, loco, loco. Oh, I've got a Jimmy Carter story. <laughs> Little Women, next. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Dick Johnson was a fan of the gag rule. Welcome back to the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined as always by Blaine Zimmerman and our vice presidential expert and producer, Russ Slipka. Russ, how are you tonight? Ryan, I'm great. Hanukkah Sameach, by the way. We're recording this on the what night of Hanukkah? It is the... Fourth night. Fourth night of Hanukkah in 2020 or in lunar years. Do you know? You're really going to put me on. I don't don't know. The look he just gave you. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to venture a guess at 5781. Wow. I'll I'll accept it. It's a real shot in the dark. Yeah. Coincidentally, there are eight nights of Hanukkah, and we are talking about the eighth president of the United States of America. This is episode eight. Blaine, you always pick the books that we read about each president, and you always come up with the names of the episodes. Do you want to share what episode eight is? I do. Episode eight is The Magician. <laughs> Good and jazz hands you the just The book did. is Martin Van Buren and the American Political System, mm. aptly titled because it has as milk toast of a title <laughs> as Van Buren himself. Oh, it's just riveting. Comes in at 432 pages. Our running page tally now, eight presidents in. Either of you guys want to take a guess where we are? It's a very clean number. I'll give 4, you that. 4,200. You're 100 off. 4,300. Way better than the last episode. Good job. Yeah, you really underguessed the last one. Donald B. Cole. Mm. It's a recent book, right? Came out within the past probably mm-hmm. decade, I would say. I mean, it doesn't look like it. I mean, the cover, just the, the colors that Donald B. Cole's publisher used are not really that attractive. This was before I started writing the years down in my notes, but it's 1984. Oh, wow. George Orwell. Yeah. Big Martin Van Buren fan. Saw that coming. You just teed it up. (laughs) The book, in my opinion, this is not a book review podcast, but the book, in my opinion, was very bland. So much so you threw it away. I can't find my book. I'm actually a little (laughs) upset. The only reason why I'm upset is because you have a really cool looking bookshelf with all of them lined up presequentially. Yeah. And I can't find Van Buren. I mean, it's fitting for him. So he's average at best. Oh, I think he's way below average. Below average at best. Yeah. Okay. Where does he rank? Uh, he ranks, well, we used the C-SPAN ranking, uh, I think the latest in 2017, where he ranks one of the 10 worst. That's he, what I thought. He currently sits at 34th, according to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey. You know what, Marty? <laughs> what, what are we going to call him? Are we going to call him Martin Van Buren? Can we Van call him B? Van B? Van, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Leader of the Van B boys. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're going to get to the Seinfeld episode oh, yeah. where he appears. You know, I I, I kind of like calling him Marty. I might call him Marty tonight. I don't know. But Fair. he did have some sweet mutton chops. He he liked to wear velvet green suits with yellow mm. shirts. He was known as, as attractive mm. yes. in his time, which if you haven't seen a picture of Martin Van Buren, oh my. Uh, that's a wild assessment. Especially old Martin Van Buren. Yeah, but even young yeah. Martin Van Buren. I mean, it's a different time, right? Sure. But I and by no means would consider this human being Mm. an attractive human being. Mm. That's fine. To each their own. Maybe there's a Marty Van Buren stan out there who's listening. He's like, he was hot. (laughs) You shut your mouth when you're talking to me about Marty. Well, we got to be careful. We can't make the Van B boys mad. That's right. No time like the present. Explain the the Van B boys. There is a dangerous street gang in New York Mm. called the Van B boys. They accosted Kramer in season eight, episode 14 at Lorenzo's. And he, he ended up getting out of trouble because he was still holding the garlic shaker. Mm. So when he put his hands up, he made the number eight and that's their sign. That's their signal. And then a pretty famous scene in Seinfeld where you see George, he tries to uh, mug Jerry's parents in yeah, the street. On purpose though. He's, yeah. He's and like, then runs away. Yeah. It's because he's trying to convince the Van B boys that he was used to be a member of the gang because he was in charge of his dead fiance's scholarship fund. Okay. And he picked this one kid because the kid was super average. And then like Martin Van Buren. Yeah. And then 
<laughs> and the kid wanted to be an architect and then decided he wanted to be a city planner, which made George mad. So he didn't give him the scholarship. And so the kid went to his friends in the Van B-Boys. Oh, man. And they accosted George. You're giving us the entire plot summary of this episode. Yeah, I well, like it. it's quite possibly the most yeah. interesting thing Van Buren did. Was make his way into popular <laughs> culture <laughs> in the late 1990s. So, that's fun. That's Van Buren in a nutshell. We should jump in. What? Yeah. Well, as, as always, when we're recording, we enjoy a cocktail, a drink, in honor of each president. Tonight, in honor of Marty Van B's Dutch ancestry, we're sipping on some ice-cold, delicious Heinekens. It's my favorite airport beer. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. See, I was going to go with Hogarden, which is a delicious <laughs> Dutch beer, or, mm-hmm. or Stella Artois. But oh, yeah. uh, all my wife could find when she was at the grocery store was Heineken. Mm-hmm. I said, that'll work. It is so. from Holland. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> cheers, boys. To Marty Van B. And cheers to you, wherever you're listening from. And we thank you for let's listening. Go. Let's go. Guys, what do we remember about Martin Van Buren from Social Studies? I just remember he had a weird name. And I do remember him looking wildly ugly mm-hmm. with yeah. the mutton chops. So that's it. I remember absolutely nothing about Martin Van Buren. Like he was in, he existed, but I never learned anything about him. Did your social studies teacher have one of those things of the presidents, like along the top? Yeah. That's why I remember what he looked like. I felt like that was also homeroom, like first through fourth grade. It was possible that your homeroom teacher was a history teacher. Yeah, possibly. Right. (laughs) Let's dive in. Martin Van Buren was born on December 5th, 1782 in Kinderhook, New York, near Albany, along the Hudson River. Fun fact about Kinderhook. Go ahead. Legend of Sleepy Hollow was inspired by Washington Irving visiting Kinderhook. Really? Mm-hmm. Was he a Martin Van Buren fan? or? Oh, we'll talk about him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Martin Van Buren was a big fan of authors and literalists. Literalist. Literalist. Word people. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we'll talk about that when okay. he becomes president. We'll put a pin in that. His parents, Abraham and Maria, were both of Dutch descent, and the first Van Burens emigrated from the Netherlands in 1633. So they'd been here for a while. He was the first president to be born as an American instead of as a citizen under British rule. And he was the first president not born from British, Scottish, or Irish stock. He was born on the day of a pretty important battle of the Revolutionary War, hmm. if I remember correctly. December 5th, 1782. Producer yeah. Russ, can you look that up? Okay. I don't remember. I feel like that was something that was covered because I do remember he was, he perfectly spanned the Revolutionary War to the Civil War. Cool. Like died right before the Civil War started, oh, wow. was born during the Revolution. That's fun. Not to die, but it's cool. His father, Abraham, was a patriot. sons. I was, I was wondering <laughs> if you were going to pick up on that. I didn't realize it until it left my mouth. And many sons had Father Abraham. Abraham Van Buren was a patriot during the Revolutionary War. He was a Jeffersonian Republican, a slave-owning farmer, and a tavern keeper. So his young son, Martin, was exposed to lively political conversations at a very early age. As he grew up, he did not go to college. Instead, his dad, Abraham, used political favor to place Martin as a law clerk in the office of William Van Ness where he served as a clerk for seven years. And in 1803, at the age of 21, he passed the state of New York bar. He returned to Kinderhook to open his own law practice with his half-brother and achieved considerable success. A year later, his former boss, William Van Ness, served as Aaron Burr's second when he killed Alexander Hamilton. And... He represented him, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. He represented, he worked for Van Ness, who represented Burr. Yeah. Yes. And so in the trial, he was the lawyer for Van Ness. Yes. I do want to point out, probably had the most quote unquote normal childhood of any president up to this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like had father and mother. Yeah, they're both around. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Jackson, episode seven, good grief. He's orphaned by the time he's 14. Yeah. Washington didn't have a father and had a insane mother i mean quincy had a relatively normal upbringing but his dad was the president yeah exactly so i would say from up till now probably the most normal childhood he married hannah hose on february 21st 1807 unfortunate last name there she was his childhood sweetheart and a daughter of his maternal first cousin making them first cousins once removed he also provided legal counsel to citizen guinea oh yes i forgot about that yeah when did Ganey showed up all the way back in Washington, didn't he? Well, while Washington was president, yeah. 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 He had a relatively long lifespan here. I mean, that's two pretty anti-American people that yeah. he 
ended up helping represent. I mean, yes. I guess Van Ness by proxy mm-hmm. being associated with the garbage. garbage. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I knew you were going to say it's garbage human being, Aaron Burr. <laughs> but there's our connection to Hamilton, so. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of this journey of learning a lot of really interesting facts, some might say not interesting at all, but I love them, is seeing that overlap of where do these characters show up in the other person's story? Where are they brushing figurative shoulders? I like that part of it. And I, I would say that as we get into his you know political career here, yeah. which obviously he was a lawyer like Many yep. other presidents. A lot of people. He probably ushered in the next generation of of presidents. Jackson was mm. kind of like an in between, where he was the first one that thought he was the people's president. Yeah. Van Buren was kind of the first politician that became president that saw himself as a politician. Yes, I remember this when we is were a career. I am beholden to my party. Yeah. I will put my party above my own personal interests at times yep. and do things that make the most sense for the party rather than even necessarily the people or the country. Yeah, I remember when we were first starting to read this book or when you were, because you, you have always been out in front of, of the reading. You're a speed reader. Like you, you read, you just finished Grant and that was like 800 pages, wasn't it? 960. Good night. Yeah. yeah. I'm still on Buchanan, but that's okay. But anyway, I remember when you were diving into Martin Van Buren, you're like, part of that desire to be the politician kind of graded against part of you. Yeah. You're like, this this dude kind of annoys me more than I thought he was going to. Yeah. But we'll dive into that. Hannah and Martin had five sons, four of whom lived to adulthood. In 1812, he moved on to work in the New York State Senate and then the New York Attorney General in 1815. Mm. Go ahead. 1812 turned down a commission that he was offered to fight in the War of 1812, mm. which Davy Crockett oh. did not like and made fun of him quite a bit for it. Mm. And I have an exclamation point there because a lot of times I forget Davy Crockett actually existed. Yeah, he is he kind of one of those mythological like people. Yeah. yeah, but he ends up being a pretty big part of this Van Buren story throughout. He absolutely hated Martin Van Buren. <laughs> And would tell anyone that would listen. Yeah. Well, as he pops up in your mind as we're going on, please continue to bring I feel like I've talked a lot more at this point than I I usually do, so sorry. No, you're okay. In 1817, Martin Van Buren became the leader of a faction of the Democratic Republican Party in New York known as the Bucktails, that's with a B, who were strongly opposed to Governor DeWitt Clinton. He began working with other... Oh, yeah, you hate... hate, Not all Clintons, but DeWitt Clinton. You're not a big fan. Yeah, not a fan. He began working with other politicians to invent systems to streamline and simplify voting. This stronghold in New York politics at the time was called the Albany Regency, which sounds more to me like a two and a half star hotel. The Albany Regency right off their exit 113 by the McDonald's. Around this time, shortly after they get married, man, this this is not good. Hannah contracted tuberculosis and dies in Kinderhook on February 5th, 1819 at age 35. And Van Buren would never marry Again, in 1821. Never even had a scandal or like yeah. rumors. Yeah, he was well, actually... There was one rumor. He was friends with a lot of women. He almost married Thomas Jefferson's granddaughter. I forgot that part. I don't remember reading that. Or at least people thought he was going to. Ellen Ways Randolph. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Randolphs were cousins of the Jeffersons, I think. Mm-hmm. They were in there somewhere. I remember reading that there was a rumor that he was Aaron Burr's bastard son. What? Yeah, fact check that. In this book? That wasn't in this now, book. Now, fact check the rumor, Russ, if you could. <clears throat> First of all, I'm yeah. already fact checking December 5th, 1782. Okay. And what I can tell you is Martin Van Buren is a Sagittarius. <laughs> 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 was so i did look at the first chapter while you were yeah. looking that up he uh george washington was in newburgh waiting on the peace treaty ah, there at that time so i knew it was something significant with the revolutionary war okay i apologize russ can you actually fact check the rumor of aaron burr potentially being the the father of martin van Buren? there was a rumor okay yeah Obviously, it's not true, but it, I just want to find out how it happened. The Bucktail Party was started in Tammany Hall, which became there's the an Aaron Burr connection there. The hub of New York politics yeah. is Tammany Hall. I mean, it was by a lot of accounts pretty wildly corrupt, but that's yeah where everything happened in New York. Yeah, Russ, did you find something? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's titled "The Insinuations of Bastardy." Mm, wow. <laughs> That's my 
autobiography. It's pretty fascinating. Blaine Zimmerman, the insinuations <laughs> of bastardy. I didn't even know that bastardy was a noun. It's very much an insinuation. Okay. Uh, it says, from the onset of Martin Van Buren's legal career, there were speculations that Martin Van Buren was the illegitimate son of Aaron Burr. Wow. The rumors persisted throughout his life. Not only has it never been proven, but has never even been close to being proven. Wow. Okay. So it was like 1820s fake news back then. Speaking of 1820 and 1821, he's elected to the U.S. Senate. Hooray! Where he serves for seven years, often frustrating his colleagues for how often he changed his mind on things. One year he'd be supporting this piece of legislation. The next year he wouldn't be. And they'd be like, Marty, what are you doing? And he's like, I do this my own way. Yeah, he he would change things if they made more sense for the party Correct. or for himself personally. Yeah. 1828 comes around. This is towards the end of his Senate career. And he leads the opposition to the administration of John Quincy Adams in the Senate and helped form a coalition that backed Andrew Jackson in the 1828 election. This coalition soon emerged as a new political entity known as the Democratic Party. I feel then, like we skipped a lot there. We did. We, we skipped about seven years in the Senate. Do you want to hop on in? I mean, he was pretty influential in the 1824 election when Quincy won because he was part of all of those those meetings in the like the backdoor meetings where they were trying to you know sway states to vote yeah. for one or the other and he even called it that if Clay were to change Kentucky's vote it would be Clay's like political Suicide. nail in his coffin yeah he also backed Missouri compromise and he wouldn't become anti-slave because he was worried about the New York Virginia relationship hmm. Hmm. which I feel like is important mostly because it really shows how he kind of straddles the line yeah. and thinks about everything in a political spectrum yeah because he knew how important keeping Virginia and New York mm -hmm. you know com combined was he <laughs> this part isn't going to paint him in a great light <laughs> He allowed a measure to disenfranchise black voters in New York mm. because they had previously been allowed to vote. And basically it was you had to be worth $250 mm. to be allowed to vote. And his exact quote was, well, if they work hard enough, then they'll be able to vote. Wow. So uh, wow. not great. Yeah, different times. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we're... Right. we still got a long way to yeah, go. Yeah, there's still a lot of people that say stuff like that now. Yeah. Newspapers used to like to call him Pope Martin the First. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to get into <laughs> Do you want to dive into his nicknames that he had? Because he had yeah, some a lot. Really, really yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, Marty Van B. He had the Little Magician. This is episode eight of the Press Quench Podcast. By both friend and foe. Yeah, that's right. He was yeah, known it as... wasn't necessarily a good thing. Because he was really good uh, behind closed doors at getting things to happen. Yes, he was. And also, he was somewhat short in stature. James Madison, the shortest president, was 5'4". Martin Van Buren, I don't know if he was the second shortest, but he was 5'6". Uh, they also called him the Sly Fox. And because he had reddish blonde hair, the Red Fox of Kinderhook. Um, that's, that's kind of a cool name. In terms of lasting impact, though, this is the best one, in my opinion. Old Kinderhook. Okay, so if you've ever, served, if you've ever said, okay, mm. you have Martin Van Buren to tip your hat to. Okay, so back in that day, newspaper editors would often think that they were being funny by putting like O and K for all correct. Some people thought it was a jab at Andrew Jackson, his predecessors, like poor education and the way that he would like sign off on things would just be kind of chicken scratch and backwoods kind of education. Well, old Kinderhook, OK, all correct. It, it, it's sort of like this in vogue, funny little thing that they would do. It was kind of like LOL back then. LOL or uh, OMG was okay. The Oxford English Dictionary actually notes that the abbreviation came into great usage at the time and its popularity can be attributed to Van Buren and his supporters. His supporters in uh, the 1840 election were flash forwarding just a little bit for this. They would have uh, signs marked okay and they would have a club called the okay club in support of old Kinderhook. So did they have a corral? He went there. I don't know. It's a good question. I hope they did. The OK Corral. Have you ever been to an OK Corral? Oh, I'm thinking Golden Corral. <laughs> yeah, I'm you sorry. are. 
I'm, I'm getting my corrals mixed up. It's my grandfather's favorite restaurant. Oh, man, the golden niblets of corn. Mm, so good. So, yeah, if you've said okay, think of Martin Van Buren. Do you have any other nicknames for him? The Little Magician, Sly Fox, Red Fox of Kinderhook, and Old Kinderhook. I mean, my personal nickname for him is Milk Toast. <sighs> yeah, he's, he's just kind of bland. But we're trying to make a not so... We're trying to make this not bland, but we can't really help Martin Van Buren not be Milk Toast. So he kind of helped in... Getting Quincy elected, kind of, sort of, yeah, but then completely flipped oh, and went four years Jackson, later. and then became, essentially became like kind of a puppet master. Yeah, he. I mean, he forms the Democratic Party. He also guided into dominance this thing called the New Second Party System, the Second Party System, which really dominated American politics until the early 1850s. He uh, strongly believed that parties were necessary. Yes, yeah, and he was all about it, and he would do everything he could to to help his case in the party's case. He actually served as New York governor for two very short months. His predecessor, I believe it was either George Probably or Probably Clinton. One of one of the Clintons dies. Immediately quits. He's like, nah, I'm gonna go be sexy. Yeah, I'm no. gonna go be governor for two months. Because what happens is uh, now President Andrew Jackson appoints him to be the tenth ever US Secretary of State. So two months as New York governor, and he's off to Washington. Van Buren actually resigned from his position as Secretary of State a little bit later to end a salacious scandal in Washington, D.C., known as the Petticoat Affair. If you want to learn more about that online, just look up the Petticoat Affair. Or listen to the last episode. Yes, when Russ just dropped some knowledge. Petticoat Affair. But first, we want you to hear from one of our fantastic sponsors. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Presequential Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Blaine. Veteran suicide is a huge issue within the veteran community. Through different experiences, too many of our brothers and sisters have gone down this road, and the team at Vets Lives Matter is working to combat this issue. Vets Lives Matter is a cohort of veteran and civilians working on a mission to enhance veterans' lives. By teaming up with local veteran nonprofits across the country through a combination of physical challenges and fundraising efforts, we will end veteran suicide. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at Vets Lives Matter to learn how to donate and participate in challenges in your community. Together, we will beat this. Hey, welcome back to the Presequential Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us. We're talking about Martin Van Buren, the eighth president of the United States. We're so excited that you're joining us. Um, we're going to dive in right now to when he becomes president. Well, shortly. Before he became president, a Go couple ahead. of fun facts, mm, if you will. I will. So the term to the victor belong the spoils of the enemy, or what we know it now as to the victor goes the spoils, yeah. was coined by William L. Macy, okay. not related to William H. Macy, mm. because Van Buren was nominated to be Minister of England. Which he went there and then lost 24 to 23, lost whatever. They voted it down, so he had to come back. Hmm. Um, so that's where that phrase come from. And then when he was Jackson's vice president, yes. so he resigned after the petticoat affair. Mm -hmm. And then Jackson brought him in as part of his kitchen cabinet oh, yes. in 1832. Yeah. They went to Castle Garden on the way to a trip through the Northeast for Jackson. Okay. And... While doing that at Castle Garden, a gunner blew his hand off, a bridge gave out, Jackson's horse almost threw him, and a burning wad from one of the cannons almost took Van Buren's head off. So we almost had a calamitous affair where both the president and vice president died in the same Oh my scenario. gosh. Very similar to foreshadowing the USS Princeton debacle yeah, yeah. in what, Polk? Tyler? Uh, I think that was John Tyler. Yeah. I think Tyler went downstairs and the gun blew. I that whole thing. Yeah, we'll talk about that later, but yeah. there's a lot of close calls. It's like designated survivor with uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Have you seen it? Can I? It's basically the, pre the premise of he, he's the one who doesn't go to the State of the Union address in case the Capitol building. Well, the Capitol building is attacked. Yeah, so I have a thought about this. Go ahead. It might be offensive. Yeah. CBS and other network television mm -hmm. shows, specifically CBS, talk about how it's like the number one watched thing. Mm -hmm. This seems to be a mythical idea in my brain because, like, I know that people watch shows like NCIS, yeah. Seattle, but I've never met one. Mm. <laughs> like, Interesting. 
So is Designated Survivor one of those shows for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like like Seal 7 or whatever is on yeah. CBS. Like any of those shows, I see commercials for it. And I'm like, clearly there's money coming in to make these shows happen, which yeah. would mean they would have the demographics to support continuing to make um, garbage television. <laughs> and <laughs> yet I've never met one yeah. person that's watched wow. Young Sheldon. Well, there goes our CBS sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, so, well, let's, all get right. back, let's get back to Van, Vanny okay. B. Almost he's the president now. Off. He's a president. Or he's about to be. We president now. With the backing of Jackson, Marty Van Buren defeats William Henry Harrison of Ohio, a Whig and veteran of the War of 1812 and the Battle of Tippecanoe here in the Hoosier State, where we are. Shout out to the Hoosier State. First drink. governor of the Indiana Territory. Yeah. William Henry Harrison. Another William H. Everybody had an old nickname back then. Old Tippecanoe. Oh, old Tippecanoe. Old Hickory. Old die in 17 minutes. Um, I have have notes that we'll talk about (laughs) in a future episode. Because old Rough and Ready, Mm. Zach Taylor. Uh, There was another one, though, that was really funny. And I can't remember it off the top of my head. His nickname was like old such and such. (laughs) That's a boring nickname. And I'm pretty sure it was... um, uh, what was the general Winfield Scott? Winfield Scott. There's what a Winfield his... Scott connection to Martin Van Buren that we're going to get to. Okay. Yeah. But but you pr- producer Russ. My notes are ridiculous. Can you find out what General Winfield Scott's old nickname was? Thank you. So he becomes eighth president in 1836 with 51 percent of the popular vote and 170 electoral votes. He was the first president from New York State. And followed in the trend set by John Adams, number two, and Thomas Jefferson, number three, becoming the third sitting vice president to be elected to the presidency. His inauguration on March 4th, 1837, was the first inauguration where the president and the president-elect rode together to the Capitol for the ceremony. The first time that the president and the president-elect rode together. Uh, Russ, you're laughing over there. It appears you've found... I was right. Winfield Scott's nickname was ridiculous. That ridiculous nickname was Old Fuss and Feathers. (laughs) (laughs) I just like that no one had any more creative ideas than be like, I don't know, throw old at the beginning of it. What do my men call me? (laughs) No, nothing, sir. No. No, no, I heard it earlier when I was getting more beans. He said old, tough, and leather. Hmm. Sounded like they said old fussing feathers. No, no, they said tough and leather, sir. Are you, are you sure? That's positive. Let me look at you. Well, tough you. and leathery. And just, you might be I? president one day. Good talk, Corporal. <laughs> and see. Yes. Um, I feel like we need to bring Russ in. Russ, would you say that... Van Buren's vice president was a good mentor to him. I would say he is a good Richard mentor to him. Okay. As his vice president was Richard Mentor Johnson. Oh. Mm -hmm. From the great state of Kentucky. So his name was... Wait a second. (laughs) He's from Kentucky and his name is... Say it one more time. Richard Mentor Johnson. His name is Richard Johnson. Is he related to the Miami Vice guy? Yes. Did he? For real? Sure. <laughs> okay. Did he spawn a line of NASCAR drivers uh, after the after? That the does sound like a NASCAR driver. If I wasn't talking, I'd probably look it up. Okay. All right. So he's there with um, Richard Johnson. Gosh, the 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 part of my brain that's still in eighth grade wants to say something, but would probably get us an explicit rating no no it's a name richard johnson yeah uh, if he had a nickname maybe rich ricky i can't think of any others hmm. the old mentor <laughs> old fuss and feathers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay sorry uh richard mentor johnson from the great state of kentucky mm-hmm. was martin van buren's vice president as well as a war hero oh. in the war of 1812 okay he was also known in some circles as the person that shot the Shawnee Indian chief Tecumseh. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So he was just known for being the guy. Mm-hmm. In some circles. Okay. As were like four other people. Sure. Yeah. 
under the command of William Henry Harrison oh. at the bottle at the Battle of the, Thames. The Bottle of the Thames. Thames. The Bottle of the Thames. It's the Thames. Thames. Right. Yeah, this is Indiana. We're known for taking <laughs> European towns and saying this yeah. is how we say it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like Versailles. <laughs> That is a place That's in true. Indiana that we yeah. call Versailles. I've never been to Bra is it Brazil or Brazil Indiana? It's Brazil. Oh, uh, see, I thought it was Brazil. Yeah. We've got a Santa Claus too. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't mispronounce it though. Yeah. Back to uh, uh, Richard Johnson. Though. Well, speaking yeah. of Santa Claus, yeah. Fifty-seven eighty was the Hebrew year. Oh, oh good. Yeah. From the Big Lebowski, <laughs> five thousand years from Moses to Sandy Koufax. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that he supposedly shot Chief Tecumseh mm -hmm. led to the campaign slogan, Rumpsy, Dumpsy, Rumpsy, Dumpsy, Colonel Johnson killed Tecumseh. I, I would assume they would have said Tecumsey at that point. Or Rumpsy, <laughs> Dumpsa, Rumpsy, Dumpsa. Uh, yeah, hmm. you could really do it. I just like that they had to say so his Rumpsy, whole point, Dumpsy twice. Yeah. It was actually three times. Oh. I, Oh, These are the same people that three cheered things <laughs> and they huzzahed. Huzzah. Yeah. I love huzzah. Wow, Russ. Okay. Anything else about Richard Mentor Johnson from the great state of Kentucky? Is, 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 yeah. is Kentucky a commonwealth? I think yeah, it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. I believe it is a commonwealth. Okay. Actually, yes. Actually married one of his slaves that he had inherited oh, from my. his father. Her name was Julia Chin. He had a common law marriage with her and he had two daughters with her that he actually, unlike uh, other gentlemen of the time, he yeah. actually claimed and gave mm. the surname to. That's right. And it he ended even, up being like bad for him. Like it ended up like coming back because people yeah. ended up like using that against him at yeah. the time. He let her run the plantation for half of the year, every year. So she wow. was his financial proxy. Yeah. She would not only run the plantation, but she would be in charge of the, the white servants as well, which wow. was very much unheard of at the time. Yeah. Hmm. Until she died from cholera. Mm. Well, in the time of cholera. Yeah. Mm. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Wow. Russ, we thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. He sounds like a real dick. Was that what you were trying to avoid earlier? <laughs> just, just went right there, didn't you? Marty Van B becomes president. Boom. Depression hits 1837, called the Panic of 1837, lasts for five years. <laughs> that describes every other day of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Boom. Depression yeah. hits. Boom. <laughs> you wake up, you're Martin Van Buren. Yeah. Uh, you can learn more about the Panic of 1837 in the previous episode, episode 7, The Frontiersman. But President Jackson before him had destroyed the Second Bank of the United States, leading to the existence of only state-chartered banks. Van Buren's opponents proposed recharting the National Bank. However, Van Buren refused to do so and instead established the independent treasury to manage the money supply of the nation. Blaine? The fact that the independent treasury bill was the main issue of this presidency really sums Martin Van Buren up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, it's a great way to put it. Just kind of blah. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1837, when the Texas Territory requested to join the U.S., Van Buren boldly reversed Jackson's policies on Texas and denied their request to become an American state. He proposed a diplomatic solution to a longstanding financial dispute between American citizens and the Mexican government, rejecting Jackson's threat to settle it by force. Funny that. Around this time, Davy Crockett wrote a book. Oh, please, another Davy Crockett reference. Yeah, he brought him up in the book, calling him only a politician and a third-rate man, which I assume the fact that it was brought up, that was supposed to have been an insult. What's well, a, uh, a first-grade man, I would get. Third-rate well, first rate's like just top of the class. Yeah. Second and then rate, though. He also called him an effeminate, like mm. a, as though that's an adjective. No, he made it into a noun. Yeah. He's Davy Crockett. He, Martin Van Buren, though, he was a dandy, is what they called him. Well, well, probably not to his face. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, back then, that was a, yeah. it was a bad one. Get shot for doing that. Texas uh, would have to... Do you want to talk about Texas or David Crockett? I'm sorry. I just I'm read one of my notes. <laughs> it says... What's it about? He was for the gag rule against bringing up slavery in the Senate... 
because he was a, and then it's a two words formed into one. Uh-huh. One starts with an M and um, one starts with an F. That's oh, <laughs> you wrote. That. That's what my notes say. Mm. I um, clearly don't control. Oh, that's fine. I just I free write. Yeah. So I wonder if Dick Johnson was a fan of the gag rule. That that thing is so dumb. They're like, look, we're just not going to bring it up. We're going to make a law that nobody can even talk about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You think? <laughs> no, sorry. I'm not going to go there. Let's go back to Texas. Texas would have to wait eight more years and three more presidents. <laughs> you just got the joke, didn't you? You went into it. Russ and I totally got it. And you're well, like, oh, my God. I was like, why is that? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The Loco Focos. Hmm. Yeah, the Loco Focos. Um, I forgot about them. But were, were they in your notes? Do you want to talk about the Loco Focos? No, it literally just says the Loco Focos. Mm, the loco, that's just one of your notes. <laughs> loco, loco Focos. Telling you, it's free writing. I don't remember about the Loco Focos. They were Democrats. Well, the Democratic Republicans at the time didn't yeah. like them. I mean, I'm assuming that it had something to do with them being crazy. Loco Focos. Yeah. He, I know that he was against them. If I remember correctly, might have been for them. Might have been no. I think the, he was against them. Um, the loco foco mofos. But anyway, yeah, the independent treasury bill. Yeah, blah. Well, anyway, which Texas was quickly be- followed by a congressman duel. Uh, yeah, who was that between? That was you. Find it. I'm going to talk about okay. Texas. Texas had to wait three more presidents until the end of 1845, when it would become the 28th state of the union during 11th president James K. Polk's administration. Shout out if you're in Texas listening right now. We will not mess with you, we promise. Did you, did you find it, Blaine? I did. Jonathan Silly, C-I-L-L-E-Y of Maine, okay. criticized William Graves, a Whig from Kentucky, okay. and they exchanged rifle fire, wow. and on the third round, Silly was killed. So the Kentuckian killed the Maine. The Mainian. You the can Maine duel man. with a rifle? Apparently. Wow. They did. You want to hear something interesting? Someone answer me, please. No. Thank you. (laughs) Though Jackson, his predecessor, had signed the Indian Removal Act of 1830, and 19 federal treaties had been negotiated with Indian nations during Van Buren's presidency, it was actually Van Buren who directed General Winfield Old Fussin' Feathers Scott in 1838 to forcibly move nearly 20,000 Cherokees westward on the Trail of Tears. So Jackson signed the bill mm-hmm. and probably gets a lot of the credit for doing so, or the the, the infamous credit. credit. No, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Blame. Blame. Oh, that's what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Infamous credit was the words that I used <laughs> like an idiot. But Van Buren was the guy that was actually making the call to say, actually do it now. Make it happen. So yeah. that was kind of an interesting thing when I was reading that. Like, ooh, I thought Jackson did all that. Nope. Van Buren was a part of it too. You want to talk about Amistad really quick? Yeah. Yeah, let's jump in. Great movie starring, uh, not great, not great at all, especially if you're 16 and taking a girl like I did to go see Amistad with uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Not a good call. Why? Well, because it was like the only thing showing, and I was a nerd back then, too. And I was like, you want to go see Amistad? And she's like, I don't know what that is. And then we just sat awkwardly learning about the 1839 slave ship. Oh, my God. Yeah. So let's dive into it, though. Sound like a fun date. That was horrible. It plays into a little bit about Van Buren's views on abolitionism. He saw it as the greatest threat to the nation's unity, and he resisted the slightest interference with slavery in the states where it existed. So this is what was interesting. Another little fun to me overlap was that former President John Quincy Adams, number six, and Martin Van Buren would find themselves on the same stage with this famous Amistad case. Uh, You can listen a little bit more in episode six if you want to learn more about the Amistad thing, but... It's important because it lasted two years. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the case drew attention to the personal tragedies of slavery and attracted new support for the growing abolition movement in the North. It also transformed the courts into the principal forum for a national debate on the legal foundations of slavery. So this was happening at the very, 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 very tail end of Van Buren's presidency. He actually ordered a schooner to go intercept the slave ship. Or not, there were slaves on the ship. It wasn't really a slave ship, was it? Well, they weren't slaves yet. They Correct. were just kidnapped. Yes. But he had actually like, said... I don't think you become a slave until you start working, right? So at that point, they're oh, yeah. just kidnapped human beings. Oh, there you go. And yeah. that's really what Quincy Adams was pushing. 
So he's like, right. these are imprisoned free people. Yeah, if you remember, and I did get the country wrong, which, forgive me, but... Oh, you said France and you meant Spain. Yeah, if you remember what I said in that episode, was it is effectively what they were arguing was, if you got kidnapped yeah. and you were in the trunk of a car and then you broke free of your binds, yes. overtook the driver of the car to free yourself, and then you were arrested for stealing the car. Mm. That's essentially what happened in the homicide. And confusingly, they looked at John Quincy Adams and said, you what's used a to car? Be, yeah. <laughs> they were like, you used to be president. Yeah. Can you defend them? And he was like, oh, sure. anything else to do? Yeah. Van Buren, though, actually had sent a schooner. He thought that it was going to go the other way, that he was like, oh, we're just going to send them on back. But uh, nope, went all the way to the Supreme Court. John Quincy Adams actually ended up winning that case. So the year is now 1840. There's a new presidential election. And the people remembered how much the economy and the uh, literal depression, the recession that followed, was going in the country. Van Buren's Whig opponents called him Martin Van Ruin. Very clever nickname. Really pegged him as an elitist. Yep. Uh, an aristocrat, they called him, living in high style in the White House. But the Whigs actually wrote wildly popular campaign songs, and they used images of William Henry Harrison in a log cabin sipping on some cider, mm -hmm. even though he too was very wealthy. They pictured him as this uh, everyday man to convince voters that he's, hey, he's, he's one of you. He's a man of the people. Van Buren ended up getting trounced by William Henry Harrison, 234 electoral votes to just 60. That's a, that's a pretty stunning defeat if you're Martin Van Buren. Yeah, it's not as bad as uh, Reagan the second time, right? The guy, the guy he beat only had like three electoral Whoopsies. votes. Whoopsies. Yeah. So that's like Rhode Island. Something like that, yeah. yeah. That wasn't Dukakis, was it? No, that was uh, that was George H.W. Bush uh -huh. against Dukakis. Yeah. Right? Donnie yeah. Darko. Yeah. Um, part of me wishes that someone in that campaign called him Fartin' Man Buren, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just me. You got Russ with that one. <laughs> hey, on that note, we're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to hop into Martin Van Buren's retirement, death, legacy, and my favorite, little-known facts. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Ryan. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Do you grind your teeth in your sleep? If so, you're among 40 million other Americans who do. Whether it's stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. The number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is the custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging $200 to $300 per guard, and you'll grind through several a year. Using Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. Additionally, Smile Brilliant has custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Cara Pro electric toothbrush. Head over to smilebrilliant.com and use Presidents at checkout for 30% off. 30%. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use Presidents at checkout. Hey, welcome back. We're talking about Martin Van Buren. This is episode 8 of the Presequential Podcast, The Magician. Uh, right now we're going to talk about his retirement, which Blaine really wasn't that much of a retirement, was it? Yeah, he was basically the kiss of presidential <laughs> retirees. Wow, yeah. nice. Good. Like, he had a lot of farewell tours. Yeah. Shortly after William Henry Harrison took office in 1841 and died about five seconds later. Spoiler alert. Van Buren returns home to his country state called Lindenwald in upstate New York, where he watched the political developments, including the battle between Henry Clay and now President John Tyler. Uh, he did visit former President Jackson in Tennessee, and he took an extended trip throughout the South and West just to kind of feel out support for a second presidential run, just see how, you know, people still remembered him. In 1848, he was nominated for the presidency by the new Free Soil Party and ran under the banner of opposing the expansion of slavery in the Western states. Although he won a respectable 20% of the popular vote, Mexican War veteran General Zachary Taylor, old... Rough and ready. Rough and ready. Not to be confused with old fuss and feathers. Awesome. <laughs> General Zachary Taylor ends up winning. Van Buren... Also didn't last very long didn't as a president. Last long. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, ish. Van Buren supported Franklin Pierce from New Hampshire in his presidential run. Reluctantly... So why are you shaking your head? I don't like Pierce. Okay. You want to talk about it? Not right now. We should probably do a podcast yeah. episode on him. He was 14... Yeah, yeah. Fort, uh, Pierce Buchanan, Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. He reluctantly supported James Buchanan, and in 1860, 
he supported unionist politics in New York State, throwing his muscle behind Democrat candidate Stephen Douglas from Illinois. Now, of course, Lincoln, the Republican candidate, would win that election. This was, oh, go ahead. He liked Lincoln. He met Lincoln yeah. at one point in like a party, right? I think he did. Yes. And he I was like, this guy's kind of fun. Yeah. It was like Lincoln was very young. Yeah. Well, young, like as in a young adult. Yeah. Just um, wrestling like everyone. A... <laughs> <laughs> Doing card tricks. Yeah. He's like, well, he had a hat. Yeah. He was like, Good I mean, brief. not great to look at, but a fun hang. Giant Adam's apple. Yeah. <laughs> His cheekbones. Gosh. I love that Lincoln at parties, his party trick was just wrestling people. Yeah. <laughs> Pulling multiple things out of his hat. Yeah. He's like, you're a magician too? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. In 1861, Van Buren ignored President Franklin Pierce at the time. His plea. So Pierce was pleading for the five surviving presidents to gather and come up with this plan to somehow formulate a political compromise to avoid further disunion in, in the Civil War. Uh, Van Buren actually said it should be Buchanan or it should just be you like you're the president. Why, what, like, why do I need to be there, essentially? So he kind of rebuffed Pierce somewhat politely. Pierce was like, hey, we should all do something together. Mm -hmm. Let's stop this. I think it was towards the end of Pierce's term. And I think maybe Buchanan had already been elected. Where Are he they was all going to get a vaccine? <laughs> <laughs> I hear that's, this thing. That's so relevant right now. <laughs> We're recording this in in mid December of 2020, and Blaine's just dropping vaccine stuff. Well, all the pre, all the well the Bush, yeah, uh, Obama, Clinton, Clinton, and Obama have agreed yeah. to publicly take the vaccine. What about Carter? He's still around, isn't he? He doesn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that Carter is still alive right now. Oh, I've got a Jimmy Carter story. <laughs> well, go, I'd love to hear it. Go ahead, <laughs> tell us your Jimmy Carter story. This should be when cool. I was uh, in Georgia at Fort Benning at Infantry Basic Officer Leadership Course. Because uh, you're a Ibolic, soldier, if you yeah. will. Yeah, I'm not a soldier. Wait, I'm what? An what? Officer. Wow, sorry. <laughs> What's the uh, acronym sir. that you just? Sorry, sir. Sir, sir. The. I'm going to do some push-ups. <laughs> so it's infantry school for officers okay. after you take your commission. And okay. they threatened to take our Christmas leave away because they were worried Jimmy Carter was going to die. Wow. And so they needed a certain amount of people there on detail because he's from Georgia. And so they were going to do a lot of the ceremonial stuff. Like at an honor Benning. guard kind of thing or what? There's a bunch of stuff. Like we were, I think, going to be like, we were going to be driving VIPs around. Wow. Because that's what you signed up for. And it ended up like not coming to fruition. And Jimmy Carter is now still alive to this day. And that was yeah. a year ago. Wow. So the guy, I mean, he's still building homes for Habitat for Humanity. I think which, he had a fall in his house uh, within the past year. His house? or one of the houses he was building. Pretty nasty gash on his head. Yeah. I, well, yeah. And then he went and built a, a Habitat for Humanity house after that. I remember imaginary gun I, Well, I remember the picture of the giant bandage on his head as mm. he's hammering the nail for the photo op. <laughs> Shout out to Jimmy Carter, longtime listener of the Presequential Podcast. I didn't realize there was a difference between officer and soldier. So every, every officer is a soldier, but not every soldier is an officer. Yeah, well, I, we're getting into semantics. Soldiers I mean, are usually referred to as the enlisted. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you were a soldier at one point, and then you became an officer. Correct. I would, and what you would consider a Mustang. Wow. Because I was a non-commissioned officer and then became an officer. What's the derivation of that? What's the origin, the etymology of, of, tell me that. I don't know. Why a Mustang? I don't know. It came from like, I don't know. I know that that's the term. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. Before he dies at the age of 79... He had actually, though he supported Stephen Douglas, Lincoln's opponent for the presidential election, he actually lends his political support to the Union cause and Republican President Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. He officially declares his support for the Union side in the war. That summer of 1862, July 24th, he's at home at Lindenwald in upstate New York. 79-year-old Martin Van Buren, 8th President of the United States, dies at 2 a.m. at home due to complications from pneumonia and asthma. He was buried along with his wife, Hannah, his parents, and his son, one of his sons, Martin Van Buren Jr., in the local Kinderhook Cemetery. Lindenwald is actually now a National Historic Landmark. It became one in 1961, a National Historic Site in 1974, and is now operated by the National Park Service. You can visit his grave there in Kinderhook, New York, if you're around. 
They would yeah. just take a John up from the city. Honey, you want to go see Yala? Want to go? Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned there was a Washington Irving tie. What was that again? So when he was the president, he tried to name multiple different authors into different posts. So at one point, he offered Secretary of the Navy to Washington Irving. Okay. I believe Nathaniel Hawthorne was a member of his cabinet, or maybe he was a diplomat for him. But he he had this like affinity for for writers. Why? I don't know. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote the Scarlet Letter, mm-hmm. among Slicky other Magoo things. With the eyes. Give me that again. Slicky Magoo with the eyes. What's that? So when I was growing up, living at my great grandparents' house, we used to play the game Authors a lot. Okay, hold on. Is this? Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. First of all, you were raised by your great grandparents. Not raised. We we lived with them for a long time. Yeah. But you we, played a game called. Was this an actual board game? No, or? it was a card game. It's like Go Fish. Oh, okay. But on the cards, there set a book okay. would be four. Of the cards, so there's like Robert Louis Stevenson, okay. and then you had to have like each of his books, or you'd go fish, right? Like Louisa May Alcott, Washington Irving, and Nathaniel Hawthorne, and it would have a like their painting, their okay. their portrait, and my grandmother always called him Slicky Magoo with the eyes. Wow, no idea why, Grandma. but it really paid off in fourth grade. Uh, <laughs> When the teacher yeah. brought out the authors and she was like, it's, you guys have never heard of this. And I was like, I know every single one of them. I know all the books. Uh, <laughs> That's so great. Just yeah. like young Blaine Zimmerman in the back being like, oh man, I'm yeah. going to rock this. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Little women next. <laughs> Anna Green Gables. <laughs> it's, uh, Charge of the Light Brigade. What's that? Uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Wow. Yeah. You are really breaking out a lot of these uh, these tidbits. This yeah. is why. Well, I mean, Russ podcast. knows all of them because he's very well read. I'm very well read. Mm, just like Dick Mentor Johnson. <laughs> We've gone off the rails a lot in this episode, and I feel like it's been very necessary. I feel like we have, too. Speaking of going off the rails, thank you for that totally unintended segue. Yeah. To a little-known fact that I found about Martin Van Buren. Not necessarily going off the rails, but falling out of a carriage. Can I go into this really quick? Yeah, sure. Okay. So this actually happened in Indiana, our home state, Plainfield, not too far from here. Oh, yeah, that's... (laughs) There is a marker, a plaque in Plainfield, Indiana, where a carriage driver in 1842 intentionally drove through a huge mud hole to fling a former president at the time, Martin Van Buren, out of the carriage and into the mud because Van Buren had opposed a bill that would have funded improvements to the national road. U.S., I think, oh, 40, yeah. right? Runs mm-hmm. westeast. The carriage driver who pulled off the prank was, was actually rewarded by some president's of Plainfield with a $5 silk hat. Presidents of Plainfield? <laughs> what did I say? I said, you said presidents. I meant residents. Oh, Good okay. grief, Blaine. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was like, gosh. I am the president of Plainfield. I award you a $5 silk hat. <laughs> when you said off the rails, that reminded me of that fun yeah. story that I found about Martin You know Van what Buren. my favorite thing about Martin Van Buren is? Go ahead. Is that he had the audacity. Mm-hmm. The uh, giant Come Richard Mentor... Uh, to say that when he passed the independent treasury bill in yeah. 1839, mm. it was the second declaration of independence. <laughs> <laughs> we the people. Yeah. Banks oh shall gosh. be separate. Oh, if that, you're right, though. If that's the highlight reel, if that's the pinnacle of your presidency, you're kind of just, you deserve to be in the bottom 10. Let's talk about his legacy. Call really that quick. a stretch. Yeah, yeah. There's not much of a legacy for Marty Van B. Historians consider him as integral to the development of the American political system. Not necessarily as we know it today. I think Martin Van Buren would be very shocked if he came to 2020, 2021, whenever you're listening to this, and saw the way politics happens now. I don't know. People are pretty beholden to their party at this point. And that was kind of his MO. Yeah. I don't know if he'd be that surprised. You think he'd enjoy what he had created? Like if he saw the nastiness, the goods and the bads of the beast that he helped create, do you think he'd be down with it? I don't know. That's a good question. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go into some little known facts about 8th President Martin Van Buren. As of 2020... 
Martin Van Buren is the only president who spoke English as a second language. He actually spoke Dutch in his home and learned English at school. Isn't that weird? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's weird. How do you get Dutch from the Netherlands? And then there's Holland. Like, there's so many different names for the same country. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know? Yeah. Dutch, Netherlands, Holland. Clogging. Clogging. Wooden shoes, tulips. The windmills. Windmills. Holland America Cruise Line. Oh. Mm. Is that, did you live on one of those? I did work on a cruise ship. With your music thing. Yeah. (laughs) I sang on a cruise ship, not a Holland America cruise ship, but a, a celebrity cruise ship after college. And we often docked alongside Holland America cruise ships. Especially in, especially in Alaska, where there were a lot of cruises up there. Huh. But this isn't about my post-college acapella singing career. I mean, in a way, it is. Kind of is. Yeah, we called well, ourselves the Martin Van Burens after yeah, all. The Van B boys. The Van B boys. Hey, uh, you had mentioned earlier he's a very snappy dresser. An observer of an early Van Buren campaign stop at a church remembered him this way, and I quote: He wore an elegant, snuff-colored broadcloth coat with velvet collar to match. His cravat was orange-tinted silk with modest lace tips. His vest was of pearl hue. His trousers were white duck. His nicely fitting gloves were yellow kid, end quote. White duck. I don't know what half those words mean. Well, you said one that reminded me of a story. Go ahead. Of when he was a that Jimmy Carter? senator. Oh, senator. So, while he was presiding over the Senate. Mm-hmm, oh, well, when he was vice president, yeah. Okay. During the bank war that mm. we talked in depth about Gosh, in the last the episode. Freaking banks that Andrew um, Jackson hated. Henry Clay yep. started talking smack, if you will, to some yes. of my notes say, about Jackson. And Van Buren gets up. And walks over to him, saunters, if you will. I will. Animals. And everybody thought they were about to fight. Like oh. maybe like you beat him with a cane or something. Go, oh. And all he did was ask for a pinch of macaw snuff, took some, and then sat back down. Oh. And then Henry Clay was like entirely embarrassed. And that was the end of, of him bad-mouthing Jackson. Wow. Marty Van Buren was just like, hey, man, can I have some of your dip? Yeah, all five foot six of him. Yeah. Just got as big as he could. His little like, velvet yeah. green suit. Just giant red mutton chops. White duck. White duck. His vest was of pearl hue. His trousers were white duck. His nicely fitting gloves. I tell you, Hopefully they were not loose fitting gloves. They were nicely fitting gloves. <laughs> Josephine, come look at Martin Van Buren's trousers. <laughs> A velvet collar to match. Look at his cravat. It's orange tinted silk with modest lace tips. What's I think I shall vote for him. What's a cravat? A cravat is... Uh, I knew you would know. I knew yeah. you would know. So you, you obviously know. One. I, I, I wore, oh you man, I've got, a, I've got a picture of me in like a, uh, I, I was like probably five years old. I'll, I'll, we'll post Not it. good radio. No. Show uh, us. I'll, I'll show you guys. I'll <laughs> show me your cravat. Oh, funny. Yeah, I got what it. is a cravat? It's like a, uh, it's a long piece of usually I think silk or satin fabric that you kind of fluff around your neck. It's oh. not like a necktie. It's more just like, like an ascot. It's like a giant pocket square that is. Yeah, I think an ascot and a, a bandana that you would wear around. It's like a. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like a Hugh Hefner type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. His cravat was orange tinted silk. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when he came here and campaigned at our church. Oh gosh, you talked about him in the Senate. I found a fun fact. He was known to bring a pair of loaded pistols to senatorial assemblies just in case an argument became too heated. He was ready to throw down. Like, I'll shoot you on the floor of the Senate or just ask you for some snuff. Hmm. Yeah, kind of fun, right? He was one of the few presidents to be unmarried while in office. During his term, his daughter-in-law, Angelica Van Buren, performed the role of hostess of the White House and First Lady of the United States. Because Hannah, his wife, died of tuberculosis. Uh, got a lot of people back then. And he was a bachelor. Mm-hmm. A widower, actually. He had a, he had a pretty fancy... Wait, to- I thought she died of cholera. No, I think it was uh, tuberculosis, I believe. She was 35. Did he have other daughters named Eliza and Peggy? Gosh, would you stop with the Hamilton references? <laughs> now I've got a drink. We have, a, we have an ongoing thing where you have to drink every time Blaine does a little Hamilton reference there. We're going to talk about Van Buren's toilet here after I take this swig of Heineken, which we're drinking in his Dutch honor. His Dutch oven. <sighs> Otherwise known as the oven in the Van Buren yeah. family. <laughs> <laughs> So, Lindenwald, his country estate in up, upstate New York, has 36 rooms in it, one of which was sort of, you know, like if you go to a fancy country club or like a golf course, they've got 
the toilets in like a, its own little closet, like floor to ceiling doors. Like you actually go oh, yeah, in and yeah. do your business. Mm-hmm. My friends and I often Wait, call this. Why is that a golf course? I, I don't know. Okay. We call it a deuce box <laughs> is what my <laughs> friends and I call it. Back Very in Stranger Chase, yeah. the, the acapella group that I used to be in. Anyway, he had one of these deuce boxes in, a, in his toilet was made of fine china, gold, and pine. It had a hundred gallon tank and he introduced what? the area. It's a large, I don't know yeah. if that was per flush. That's pretty wasteful. <laughs> anyway, he introduced the surrounding area to the innovation of indoor plumbing. So oh. if you live in upstate New York and you're listening to this in the bathroom right now. Which I used to. Tip your hat to Martin Van Buren and his hundred gallon tank toilet. That's a man. A lot. I don't think that was every flush. That'd be way too much water. Yeah. I'm sure it was one of those things where you had to refill mm-hmm. it because every time you flush it, yeah. it took some out. Yeah. Huh. You know where the term crapper comes from? No. Thomas Crapper, okay. the inventor of the modern toilet. The water closet, if you will. So that... Thomas Crapper. Has to do with Van Buren. How? They were buddies. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Them and Washington Irving, they... Uh, they Went cravat shopping. And Nathaniel together. Hawthorne. Uh, he had a 776 page long autobiography that was published after his death. Which is far too long for him. Way too long. He never once in it mentioned his late wife, Hannah, or his presidency. Can oh, you imagine being. Did he pres- bring up the second Declaration of Independence in it? <laughs> you might have heard about the. <laughs> yeah. what, what was it called? The, the uh, Independent Treasury Bill. You might have heard about that. This is the founding of our country. And then there's the Declaration of Independence. And then there's me, Martin Van Buren. Yeah. Oh, man. He outlived all four of his immediate successors, Presidents Harrison, Tyler, Polk, and Taylor. He outlived all of them. Which for two of them wasn't hard. Yeah. I mean, Harrison was older, I think, than him when he became president Mm -hmm. and then passed away. And then Taylor died about a year, you said? I think it was 18 months or 16 months. Wow. This season of presidents is, is just sort of like... It's kind of the dash from Jackson to Lincoln. Yeah. It really is. And then there's another dash yeah. after Lincoln. And if you look at the ranking, we're getting into a lot of the bottom 10 right yeah. now. Yes, yes. And thank you for staying with us this long. We hope we've made we you t- laugh. We did what we could. We, yeah, we we read a book for you so you don't have to read <laughs> yeah. all these welcome. books. <laughs> You're we, welcome. This is really the third Declaration of Independence. That's right. <laughs> Your independence from reading a Martin Van Buren biography. You, you know what? Let's drink to ourselves right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, Again, we're drinking a Heineken tonight. Thank in honor us. Of the Those are so loud. Uh, thank me. Mm. Blaine, did you have any other uh, little known facts about Martin Van Buren that you would like to share? Um, when Kramer was... Attacked by the Van B boys, he actually sold those stories to Elaine's boss, Peterman, who was writing his biography, but he was too boring. He sold his entire life story for $750 (laughs) Um, and then quickly found out that he wasn't going to be interesting at parties anymore because he had sold all of his stories. Yeah, I mean, if you're in New York City uh, and you run up against the Van B boys, Mm. it's the number eight. So you're, you could you do a They're four very and loyal. four? No, you it's a five and a three, so, like an okay sign. So hold up one hand, all full hand, yeah. unless you've got fingers. And then the other blown off. Hold up like a an okay yep. sign. Yeah. Okay, like Mark holding, Van Buren, old yeah. Kinderhook. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Man. So if you ever if you're ever in a pickle, they're very loyal. So mm. their former members, they don't they don't mess with them. Okay. So if you're ever at Lorenzo's. We've still um, got a little bit of time, Blaine. If you could have a drink right now with Martin Van Buren's ghost, what would you ask him? Uh, I don't know. What What made you think that the importance of the party was more important than either A, your own personal gain, yeah. or B, the country's well-being? Hmm. Like, I genuinely don't understand that now. Yeah. And I don't understand that ever honestly there there has to be if you're an elected official for one you are a uh you're a representative right you're not in charge i mean you kind of you're really you're not you're not in charge yeah you're there to represent the people's best interests so why do you consistently want to put your party's best interest hmm. over the you know and obviously the answer now is money but yeah before then it, it wasn't so like what why'd you start that man? Yeah. It had to be a really long shadow to be living in with Andrew Jackson as 
But he was basically Andrew Jackson's puppet master. Yeah. Like, a no. lot of the stuff that got passed with Jackson was yeah. because of him. Still, though, I mean, just how well Jackson was known and thinking, okay, now you're the guy. Mm-hmm. Just that reputation conversation I'd like to have with him. Like, what did you hope your legacy would be? You yeah. Know? And I don't know if, if you're Martin Van Buren in the 1840s, 50s, 60s, if you could even look that far ahead to the 2020s and think, how are you going to be remembered? Which really isn't a whole lot. But the impact that he had is still influencing the way that we hear about candidates, the he way we vote. now, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, his impact is is pretty far-reaching. Yeah. Uh, for somebody that not very many people remember, he's a he's essentially a Jeopardy question. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, hey, this was fun. We somehow made Martin Van Buren. We laughed. We didn't cry. We laughed some more. And we made eighth grade penis jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to the Presequential Podcast. Be sure to follow us on all the socials at Presequential. That's P-R-E-S-I-Q-U-E-N-T-I-A-L. If you love this episode, subscribe, please share it with a fellow history nerd and leave a review because that really helps us get new listeners. And uh, my goal going into this was that we would get one review that said, these guys made Martin Van Buren interesting. <laughs> so if you want to be the guy yes. or girl that makes yeah. that review, uh, I appreciate you. We, we, we respect and appreciate that. Our next episode on ninth president, William Henry Harrison will be released on May 12th, 2021. Until then, thank you for listening to Episode 8 of the Presequential Podcast on Martin Van Buren, The Magician. We'll see you next time.